here. Yeah, another episode of Mormonism Live. Bill Real here with RFM. And this one, I hope, is going to be a ton of fun. We've already got 53 people sitting and watching this. Fantastic. we got somebody else below. Yeah, look at this guy. So this here, right, right down there, that's Chris Bloxham. And uh, he's not only my employer with Family Palm, but he's also a good friend of mine. And when uh, I moved out to Utah, it's because of this guy and his wife, Dawn, uh, brought me out to, to work for their company. And it's, I think it's been a huge hit for, for both of us, I hope, Chris. It's been pretty good so far. <laughs> Let's keep it going. That's um, right. I thought, here I thought it was because of the law in Ohio. Yeah. And one of the things, Chris, I think, I, I, I hope you're not offended by this. I think Chris is a storyteller. And I don't mean he tells false stories. I just think he's got a lot of interesting stories. <laughs> and when I, when I first met Chris, uh, I remember him, uh, my uh, my wife and me, him and his wife Dawn, uh, his brother Clay and and, uh, and his wife Heather, and we're all walking the Vegas Strip, and just to get to know these four guys and the stories they've got. But there's one story that sticks out, <clears throat> sticks out a whole bunch, and we're gonna get to that here in just a moment because we want to talk about missionary stories. And this was a, a thing that happened to to Chris when he was on his mission. Uh, Chris, you've been on the Mormon discussion several times. Any anything you want to say to introduce yourself to the audience? Um, no, just Chris Bloxham, um, friend of yours. Yeah, and love working with you. Love talking with you. Uh, if you remember, we talked about working together simply so we could talk. Whether you could, you know, <laughs> whether you were a great person or employee, uh, that was secondary. The talking was what was important. Yeah, no, and that that part I think came naturally, and then I think coming out to Utah and, and then starting to work for Family Pawn, I think it was an added bonus that I just so happened to be halfway decent at what we're doing, uh, so it worked out good. Um, I do want to say uh, RFM before we start, I, I have to give a special thanks out to two people, John Delin and Spencer Wright. I ran into a problem this week. Um, where I, I need to send out end of the year tax statements to all the donors for the podcast. And I didn't know how to aggregate that data and, and put it into the right uh, form so that it would go out in emails. And uh, John Delin and Spencer Wright both helped me with that. One little snafu I had, John gave me the text that he use, uses for his podcast. And I went and tried to clean up all, all of the text and make it reference us instead. And I, there was one spot where I didn't. So there's one spot where all the donors to Mormon discussion were notified that they also helped out the Open Stories Foundation, which is kind of a little blip, but it was kind of a little funny thing that happened. Um, RFM, you've got a missionary story at the end that you're going to share, but let's start Thank off you. with Chris telling us his story. Chris, this, <laughs> this is the story of Chris Bloxham's third testicle. And um, this is a, <laughs> yeah, RFM, yeah. get ready. This story is really good. Uh, Chris, what, what happened? Uh, well, uh, wow. Um, well, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Vegas and uh, got time to go on a mission, you know, uh, active family, active in the church. Um, but for me, going on a mission was a big sacrifice. I paid for it myself. I had a great job, paid off cars, and uh, really excited to go. But when I opened up my mission call, I was expecting, you know, I was expecting something pretty cool. And I uh, ended up, it was South Dakota, Rapid City. And, uh, you know, I tried to make the best of it. Is South and, Dakota the place where everybody wants to go? Is that is that one of the top missions uh, out there? I don't think so. I have never heard anybody excited about the Dakotas, but does it does any general authority son go to South Dakota? 
No, not that I know of. How about you guys? No. I knew a guy who went to South Dakota. He came back and he said it was so flat you could stand on a tin can and see the back of your head. Mm-hmm. I didn't meet anyone named Romney. I don't think Mitt Romney went to any of his no, kids went there. No, I don't think so either. So uh, I, you know, end up, I'm out there and um, quickly I realized that I was probably too honest in the on the psych survey. If you guys remember in the 80s, you had a piece of paper that you would answer a bunch of questions on, psychological questions like, have you ever been depressed? Um, I put, yeah, sure. Have you ever thought about killing yourself? Of course. You know, I thought about jumping off a mountain when I was on a hike and uh, realized that um, probably should have been a little more uh, not as honest because the mission president was a church employee and most of the missionaries in the mission were transfers in from other missions for, uh, you know, problems, you know, issues, psychological problems, things like that. So I quickly found the 10, 12 guys that were normal, you know, kind of like, what the hell, you know, what do we do? What, what's going on? And uh, had about 18 companions during the two years, lots of drama uh, with that stuff. But um, fast what forward. Kind of th- what kind of things do they do for fun in South Dakota? I mean, like, uh, what, like, like, what do they take the kids on field trip? Oh, well, <laughs> well, right before I got there, they had just installed uh, an escalator in the airport in Rapid City and school buses of school children would show up for a field trip to, you know, ride, ride the escalator up and down, you know? Um, <laughs> so not, not, not a lot of exciting stuff to do there. Not much to do there. No, no. no I don't know. So I'm in a small town in North Dakota. Um, I quickly, on a mission, you realize, man, you need your own time. So I started my habit that I still have today of taking two sprays a day, one in the morning, 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 one at night. And even on the mission, I started doing a third spray at, at noon. You know, you come home for lunch just to, just to get away. Yeah, and just, just so the audience knows, when he says spray, he means shower. Um, I don't, I think when I first met you, I had to kind of figure out what we were talking about. Is that a South Dakota word? <laughs> it was just my word. I, I don't know. I, that's what I've already called it. Always called it. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm in the spray it's noon and I'm, I've got my lather going, you know, uh, everybody has their style in the spray. I'm, I like to start, you know, just above the unit, you know, it's a good place, good place to get some friction, you know, get a good lather going up and down. And I'm in there and I notice, you know, this morning there were two and now there's three. And I take a pause. Yeah, no, there's definitely three here now. Three nads. Yeah. So on the mission, you can't do anything on your own. Everything has to go through the office. So I call the office. My One of my best friends is the executive secretary. He had hurt his back. That's why he was in the office. I said, Henniger, hey, man, I got to go see a doctor. And he's like, what's up? And I said, it's kind of personal. Nah, you know, and, and missions are huge gossips, gossip places. You know, they're like a, a nail salon, just stories and, and rumors. And he goes, uh, come on, bro, you can tell me. You can tell me what it is. All right, man, I, I think I got three balls. And he, you know, covers the phone up and tells everyone in the office, hey, Bloxham's on the phone, thinks he's got three nads. 
And I said, it's really funny, but I just need to get permission to go see a doctor. And it's crazy because the church doesn't insure you. You're paying your own medical insurance. So to have to get permission to go see a doctor for your own medical care seemed you know, strange to me. But so I go see a doctor and we're wearing our suits, you know, name tags. I tell him what I think, what I've got. He said, well, let's see it. I said, well, hold on. Are you secure? Because, you know, hopefully you're you have a good self-esteem about yourself because it's about to get tested. You know, he said, that's really funny, but uh, let's see it. I show it to him. He goes, OK, well, that's not a third ball. That's a, a, a varicocele, we call them. And it's a, a varicose vein that sometimes men get in their scrotums. And it looks like a third ball or feels like it. And he goes, two out of, uh, I think he said, a third, a third of men have it. And I'm like, man, I've been in a lot of locker rooms. I've never seen no third balls around, you know? And he's been looking. I've been, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm a one on the Kinsey scale, but, you know, I'm also a curious guy. So uh, I said, so what's the process? What's the procedure? And he goes, well, it's going to create a little bit of extra heat, so we need to get a sperm sample. And he gave me a little... Uh, little sample cup, which I have on my bookshelf to this day, still have. So I go back to the apartment. We call, I call, call the office. I tell my buddy Henniger, I say, hey, I got to talk to the president. And in the meantime, the presidents have changed. So I have not met the new mission president and he hasn't met me. He's from the South. So he's got a very Southern accent. And uh, I say, I got to talk to the president. He gets on the phone. Hello, Elder Bloxham. How are you? something like that. And I said, Hey man, I, uh, this is the situation. I've got to give a sperm sample to this doctor. Cause I, you know, thought I had three balls and now I got this other thing. And he said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, when I was in the Navy, uh, there was a thing the doctors could do where they, they could go in the booty with the finger and they just, they just rub it and it comes right out. And I said, well, I, I've never heard of that, but, uh, if you say so, you know, it's a president. So I go back a few days later to the doctor and he says, what's the story? You got the sample? And I said, no, um, look, we're Mormon missionaries and um, it's kind of against our religion to, you know, give sperm samples. So our president, the leader of all of us has said, if you could just, you know, if you could just go in the booty, you know, it'll come out. And he's like, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I can go in the booty with my finger, but nothing's going to happen. And he goes, what's the big deal? Just, you know, go in the, go in the other room for 10 minutes and get me a sample. I'm like, oh, well, all right. I really, I have to get permission before I could do that. So he goes, well, right, I'm never, I'm never going to join this church. What's this church again? As <laughs> a Mormon, it's weird. Go back home, call the office again. President gets on the phone and I said, look, I, he, he can't, this isn't going to work, man. I got to give him the sample. And he says, okay, let me pray about it. Sit by the phone. I'll get right back to you. A couple minutes later, he calls back and he goes, all right, Elder Bloxham, get your journal. I want you to write this down. I want you to write it down word for word. He said, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints authorizes you to fulfill the needs of medical science one time. And he said, I want you to underline, underline one time. I write it down. Now, here's the problem. And my, and my companion is, uh, um, 
he's all excited. He's like, bro, you get a free pass. And I said, look, man, here's the deal. I never masturbated. And I know, I know it's, you know, I know it's a crazy, crazy thing to believe, but I never did. So it wasn't like a exciting thing for me. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to do this? Now, I've told John DeLynn this story and John DeLynn says, I never masturbated either. So, you know, there's two of us that will admit it, but I don't know. Maybe it makes us yeah, weird. Yeah, we, yeah, we, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys. You know, <laughs> no, I, was about, I was about three times a day, about four days a week. That this is me. old That's school three. for you. That's three. Me, Chris, <laughs> me, Chris, and John. Yeah. yeah no yeah, way. Sure. Are yeah. you serious, yeah. man? Yes, but I have five testicles. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so it's even harder for me. <laughs> no pun intended. So, <laughs> so uh, first thing I do is I call my dad. Uh, he was a prosecutor in Las Vegas and I, you know, I just called him. He's like, son, how are you? And I'm like, uh, Hey dad, it's Chris. He goes, what, what's the occasion? Why would you just call out of the blue? And I said, well, look, uh, I got to masturbate and I don't really know how. And I hear the phone click and he goes, well, son, I was in a, I was in a meeting, a conference call. <laughs> I put you on speaker. Cause you know, three of the guys in the room are, uh, LDS. So that was a funny, that was a funny thing that we've laughed about since. But um, I go in the bathroom. My my partner's just, my companion's just excited and, and you know, running around the apartment yelling. And he's got other elders on the phone. I go in and I'm like, uh, first thing I grab is toothpaste. Now I'll tell you, it's a bad deal. You don't try to masturbate with toothpaste. Just doesn't work. And uh, next thing I use is soap. And that's no good because that gets in your urethra and stings and sting for a long time. And eventually I just like, I, I, I just, you know, I can't do this. And I come out and, and he says, well, let's go. Why don't we go to the high school? It's like two 30 in the afternoon. Let's go to the high school. We'll park. This is how dumb missionaries can be. Right. This sounded brilliant to us. We'll just park on the curb. And you know, as the uh, girls come and cross the street, you just, uh, you know, spank one out. You sit in the back seat. I'll sit in the front seat. <laughs> you got to remember, this is like an 88 Cavalier, right? It's like no tint on the windows. Uh, we're wearing suits. It looks really odd just going down the road, right? You got a one guy in a suit driving, another guy in the back seat, you know? So we we get up on the curb there, and uh, I just felt really odd. This just felt strange, right? He's like, you want me to put some music on? What do you want to do here? <laughs> a little very white. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, suffice it to say, I never fulfilled the needs of medical science. I just it was no good. So, so what happened, man? You're you're walking around today with what still oh, looks uh, like three, three well, or the, two, or <laughs> well, you know what happened was, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too scientific, but eventually it just kind of uh, absorbed, you know, kind of went back to normal. So. I don't know. Did, you, did your mission president have you write down in your journal word for word that this authorization was not transferable? <laughs> Should have asked him that. That's a no, no. He just, uh, but word got out. And I think other guys started saying they had three balls too. And, you know, I don't know. Kind of became yeah. a thing. Yeah. I'll tell you, I've heard this story. I've heard this story at this point, probably a dozen times, maybe two dozen 
uh, at least a dozen. And, and I, you know, whenever we meet somebody new, Chris, I'm always like, tell them, tell him the third ball story, tell her the third ball story. And I just know we've sat in, we've sat in your pool with 20 people. You telling that story and me and, uh, and some of your other friends, uh, Crosby and others, just, just trying to kind of like laugh and make jokes and kind of throw you off track. But that story to me is still to this day, after hearing it so many times is absolutely hilarious. And I think the, the, the audience loved it too. Cause there's a lot of comments like this that are saying, you know, they're laughing their ass off. Uh, the little factory here found a way, Sarah, Spagnolo. um, you know, well, I, I wrote it down, so it was easy to remember. I kept, I actually wrote in my journal every day of my mission, wrote a page every day, tried to make the best of it, you know, best yeah. of the investment. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you were in the Dakotas. So uh, probably not a whole lot else to do, but write in your journal. And uh, I don't know what, what else. Well, I was going to say the reason I never masturbated because I, I don't want to come off looking like a strange dude. You know, I, I, you know, I'm into chicks. I like, I like, I like girls. Right. But um, I was at a fire. So I was, you know, 12. I, I think, what? I think gay people masturbate too. I, <laughs> well, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Um, in the eighties, every fireside was about, uh, morality or yeah. backmasking. Oh, you remember all yeah. the backmasking talks? No. Yes. Is that where you like put tape on your back hair and rip it off with what's backmasking? You don't know? I know. I've never heard the term backmasking. Okay. <laughs> is anybody going to explain that to me? RFM, help me out. What is? Here's my sweet Satan. <laughs> the one little path is there. Whose power is Satan? <laughs> stairway to heaven, man. The stairway Absolutely. to heaven backwards. Absolutely. Um, they would have these firesides for the youth, and then play these songs backwards, and and tell us, tell us, tell us what was being said. It was just the you know power of suggestion. Uh, if you listen to it, it sounds like garble, um, and I don't think there's anything to it. I think it's all been debunked, hasn't it? Turn me on at this man. point. So one of the speakers said um, one of the one of the speakers said, uh, young men, if you masturbate, it's a sign of weakness. You know, and I'm 12 or 13. And I went, well, I'm, I'm not weak. I just won't masturbate. So it just really never came up. I just kind of, you know. Yeah, put it in my yeah. head, you know. Yeah, you see the comment there, Chris. That the what vein in your testicles? You, Mark says abstinence can foster the development of a varicel. So you the actual the actual you, you getting a third testicle is your evidence that you never touched your little factory. Oh my gosh, dude, it's it's not good for you. No, it's it's not good for you. I I didn't know that. I did. I never knew that. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, I mean, there's a, yeah, well, I love, I love the story. I'm glad that I've, I've been telling you for a long time, Chris, that I wanted to have a conversation about funny missionary stories and give you a chance to tell that one. Um, it's one that I just think is hilarious. And so I appreciate, I appreciate you giving us your time today and, and sharing that story. So now it's recorded for all time and eternity. Well, I, I have some images here. Do you want me to Oh them. boy! Okay, I don't, I don't know what we're looking for now. Huh? Oh well, well, RFM looks excited about it. Well, it looks like it reminds me of Johnny Lingo. I mean, Leilani may be a ten cow woman, but you are a three testicle missionary. Hey, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for having All me. Right. On. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
All right, RFM. So we started off the night with the story of the third testicle. And I'm going to put the banner up for our telephone number and I'll mute myself so I can field the phone call uh, and come back on. But you said you had some listener mail that you wanted to, to run through. Yes, I'm, I'm just glad we got through that with maintaining a PG-13 rating. It wasn't too bad, right? Like, it wasn't no. too bad. And it was just a, it's just a, hel- a normal health thing that people run into. But but this part of the story, you know, you can do this all you want, but ain't nothing going to happen. No, <laughs> no, at least not that. No, not that. I mean, other things could happen, I guess. Certainly. Not that. <laughs> okay, well, while you're doing that, oh, did you want to go ahead and make uh, go ahead and announce the number? Because we want to get people lined up with their missionary stories. And I'm going to make a couple of announcements, read a little bit of viewer feedback while you're doing that. Yeah, I know it's so up there on the, the screen, but it is 435-200-3478 or 435-200-FIST. Absolutely. So, yeah, time to make your phone calls, folks. Okay, and I'm going to make a couple of announcements. First off, last week I had apparently said something that was incorrect, believe it or not. But a listener, savvy listener, checked me out on this. And this is when I had commented that the church had gone back and put Leahona, the new church magazine name across the front of all the magazines going back uh, instead of Enzyme. And apparently, well, I was wrong. Now, uh, I wasn't actually researching that at the time, but I think what happened is I clicked, I thought I was clicking on Enzyme. I probably just clicked on Leahona. And so, of course, the Leahona say Leahona going back until the beginning of time. But this was pointed out to me. Uh, it's very unlikely that I saw that correctly. I'm going to take the the blame for that one. Wanted to correct the record on that and thank the listener for pointing that out. We do strive for accuracy here at Mormonism Live as well as Mormon Discussions podcast in general. Second, there were a number of comments that came in. It was about three weeks ago. We were talking about Elder Bednar, Elder Bednar's miracle of the temple opening. Uh, And we talked about that. Um, It's been three weeks now, but I do want to say we got a lot of response. A number of uh, listeners said that it, was, it sounded funny to them that here the temple president is getting word that on Friday, um, November 13th at midnight, everything was going to have to shut down, okay, because there's an uptick in COVID cases and we're going to have to uh, go back from where we've uh, come to as of that point. And so the temple president instead of just saying, okay, well, we need to shut down. We need to put the health and safety of our temple workers and temple patrons first. Instead, we're going to cram as many people as we can until we absolutely have to shut it down. So three days of a potential super spreader event in this temple. That was a comment that a number of people had made. I thought it was a good one. Another comment that um, a fellow named George, and I'm not authorized to give his last name or say where he lives, though I know both. Uh, He's a listener and he called in He thought it was very, very funny that uh, the story was told in such a way as it sounded like, well, you know, we've only got three days left and we've got to call all those people who are scheduled beyond that three day deadline when we have to close the temple by government edict and get them in to do their uh, temple work. Right. Because we don't know how we're going to how long we're going to have to be um, closed after this. Well, the first I the first thing is that. um, uh, I think we talked about the idea that really a temple is open 16 hours a day under normal circumstances, pretty much from oh dark 30 until probably nine or 10 at night. And then it's going to be closed normally for like 10 till maybe six in the morning, maybe less than eight hours that it's closed regularly. So all they're doing by running at 24 hours is they're gaining about 50% more time in the temple 
for three days and not even three days because it wasn't a full night on Friday, but let's just go with three days. Okay. So they've increased their capacity for three days by 50%. But at the same time, of course, this is under COVID uh, social distancing guidelines, which means everybody who's in the endowment has to be at least six feet apart. So you've got chairs that are there and the seats, you can't be sitting right next to somebody. You can't be sitting in that chair or this chair, you've got to be at least four chairs apart, maybe even more to be six feet away from somebody because it's probably only about a foot and a half across at the most across the chair seat. So I'm figuring that they're really down 25% there in the number of people they can have in the different endowment sessions. Um, the reason that this struck George as interesting is because we told the story, remember, about the really good miracle about the gal who came in one year after she'd been baptized by the two sister missionaries. And she brings in the sister missionaries who had baptized her and her Relief Society president and the bishop and the state president, and then also some other friends. So there's at least seven people that this one sister is bringing in with her as she goes through her endowment. Remember, she, she saw the temple worker and said, I prayed that you would be here. That was the miracle. But what George pointed out is, you know, on the one hand, the story is being told in such a way as that we are working night and day to call all these people in to fill every possible seat that we have in these endowment rooms so that we can do as much work as possible during this 50% more time that we're creating by doing it 24-7. And he says, but if you've got one person bringing seven people with her, I mean, they all have to take up seats in the endowment session. And they're not going through for their own temple work. It's just that this side of it, this story, made it sound like really it wasn't quite as crammed as the other part of the story made it sound like. It sounds like there was a lot of additional room available for visitors. Okay, and one last thing. Sorry about this. You're good. Okay. This is another listener, and I wanted to read this because I had intuited in that episode that for Elder Bednar to come up with all these eight statements, right, about the miracles that they experienced in this temple non-closure, that he had to get those from somewhere. They didn't just land in his hands. They had to be solicited by somebody for him to end up with them in order to use them and read them in his talk. And we have a listener to this program who's very well placed within the LDS church. I'm not authorized to give even his first name, except to say that he does work for the LDS church in, I believe, a paid capacity. I could be wrong about that. But he's definitely, let's just say, middle-level management. I think that's safe enough to say. And he responded and said that this was absolutely correct, that my intuition was right. And he, this is what he wrote. So, uh, since I have a unique role right now in the church, I have some insight into this exact issue, which I will say. You can share my comments on the air. I'll tell you exactly where and how they get these stories. In my role over the past several years, very frequently, I and all of my department counterparts would get an email that goes basically like this. Hey, we're giving a presentation tomorrow and we'd like to get some stories, success stories about XYZ issue or headquarters is asking for stories about XYZ issue. Could you get us a quick success story back to us by the end of the day or by the end of tomorrow? This kind of request would always drive me crazy because they were essentially asking us to think of a case or an encounter, which is faith promoting something related to the issues we work on and embellish or spin it. Maybe 10 to 20% of those getting the request for a story would actually send in something. Again, these are stories that are literally written up off the top of our heads because there was never time to really gather facts, no vetting or detailed investigation. Some of these stories would get selected and likely put into some presentation to some committee or to an area presidency who is reviewing some issue or a pilot program. The manager presenting wants to show success in what they are doing, of course. There is zero incentive to present any story that would show lack of success. They would not want to present something as a failure, especially if they felt it was inspired action. 
In the case of Elder Bednar's eight miracle stories, my experience tells me that some department manager was asked to gather inspiring stories about temple work and responding to COVID-19. There could have been 30 or 40 more stories submitted. The best were selected and put into some report or presentation that made it to Elder Bednar's desk or email. He took those stories and spun them into the miracles. Viola, modern miracles. And then he says, both of you have commented on the power of stories and binding tribes together. For those of us awake to the new reality, we can clearly see that Mormonism, indeed all religion, is just a massive story, exclamation point. So that is from a well-placed mole who is a listener to Mormonism Live who wanted to contact us and let us know the real scoop and how things work on the inside. Beautiful, beautiful. That's awesome. Let me... um. Whoop, let me do something here real quick. And so our first caller tonight is Maxwell. Maxwell, you've got, it sounds like, a fun mission story. What uh, what do you got for us, my friend? Hey, guys. Thanks for putting me on your show. I hope everyone is having a, a fabulous uh, afternoon out there. We're doing uh, great. Can you hear friend. me well? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. Awesome. Well, I'm going to try to condense it as as fast as I can and just have a quick little fun story here. Um, so the year was about uh, 1999. I was about 19 years old. I was serving in Colorado. And uh, I don't know if most missionaries in the United States are, uh, this is common, but it's very common that I would hear back in the day where missionaries would barge into your apartment and just completely trash your apartment and then leave and do it as a joke. And then people would laugh. I don't know if you guys ever uh, heard of that, but that was very common back in my mission in Colorado. So basically, uh, <laughs> let, let, let me uh, build you this story. So uh, coincidentally, um, there was a time in my mission where I just, I wasn't feeling very good. I needed to go home. It was a stomach issue. Somebody had invited me to their house and the food just didn't sit well. So I told my companion, I said, listen, we got to go home because I got to, I, I got to go. I got to go to the restroom and I got to go bad. So he was like, okay, fine, let's go. We, we rushed to the apartment. And the first thing that I noticed was is the lights were not turning on. So I was like, okay, there's something wrong with the lights. I don't know. I need to go. I need to go to the bathroom. I turn, I try to turn on the bathroom lights. The bathroom lights were not working either. I figured it was a malfunctioning of the electricity of the apartments at the time. I just said, you know what? Screw it. I need to go to the bathroom. So I went, I, you know, <laughs> I did what I had to do, but in the midst of doing what I had to do, cause I had to really go to the bathroom, my companion says, hey, I figured out what happened to the lights. Uh, the missionaries raided our apartment. And I was like, raided our apartment? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, they came in here and our whole kitchen is, is messed up. Our couch has flour. There's ketchup all over the place. I mean, they had gone in there and they had trashed the whole place. I couldn't see it because not only was it dark, but I needed to go and take care of business. So... I felt something touch me while I was sitting on the toilet as he said that. And I said, okay, something's going on. I stood up 
and I turn on the light, and there was ceramic wrap on toilet, and everything that I had done, okay, was everywhere. <laughs> it pissed me off to no end because they had they had done that to the toilets. They hung up teddy bears by the neck. They they spilled flour everywhere. I mean, once the lights went on, everything was easy to see. But man, was I livid. And to, to, to make a, a long story short, we got back at them. We went to their apartment, broke into their apartment. We raided their apartment. <laughs> so it was this back and forth thing with missionaries in the mission field back in the 90s. And you could imagine, you could just imagine and I hope that it wasn't too descriptive, but you get the imagination of it all, of what just happened to me the day that I got raided. And it happened to be on the day that I needed to go to the bathroom, no ifs and or buts. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, guys, I thought that was hilarious to tell you. I hope you enjoy the story. Have an excellent afternoon. Thank you, Maxwell. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, that was excellent timing on their part, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's, uh, that's pretty crappy. You know? <laughs> I was wondering where he felt something touching him, but I guess he sort of answered. I was that worried that maybe the, the other elder was hiding in the, you know, the two missionaries were hiding in the shower behind the curtain or something and reached out, but no, uh, I, I think he was touched. Uh, sounds like we've got another call coming in. Um, okay. Phil. Phil, if you'll turn uh, if you'll turn your sound down on your monitor there. Phil, you are on the air, Mormonism Live. We're telling funny missionary stories today. What do you what do you got for us? Well, I've got a good mission story for you. Um, RSM and I talked about my mission in some detail. Uh, it wasn't the funny part of the mission, but uh, in any case. Uh, as we had talked about, I had because I had refused to participate in some unethical activities related to improper baptisms, I got banished to the far side of the mission into a little two-missionary town about 10 hours out in the interior. And they sent me out with a... Com- uh, they busted me from being a district leader to a junior companion. And so uh, I was out there to learn how to baptize. Well, this guy would just go into the poor areas uh he'd work maybe four or five hours a day go to the poor area strong arm somebody into a baptism and then go home and sleep i wouldn't put up with that and he didn't like having to do real missionary work so he asked for a transfer out they made me the senior companion and sent me a brand new missionary which was kind of cool in any case uh, i'll use his first name and call him elder richard so Elder Richard shows up. He's brand new. He's a he's a Idaho kid. Uh, he's excited. He's committed. Super nice. A bit naive. Very very pure hearted. Just uh, uh, as as nice as you can get. In any case, um, after about a week, he started to gain some confidence and wanted to take a little leadership in the relationship. So I said, well, that's fine. I said, uh, you, you plan the day, we'll do it. And he said, um, it's been a long time since we've taught a first discussion. I prayed to the Lord, and uh, we're going to make a commitment and get a golden contact today. And I said, hey, I'm up for it. Let's do it. He says, here's the plan. 
He said, we're going to pick the longest street in town. We are going to not eat or drink until we find this golden contact. And we are going to track hour after hour until we find this golden contact. Are you willing to do that? And I said, sure, I'm up for it. Let's go. So we picked the longest street in town. It was a super, super hot, sunny day. And off we go. So we decided we'd go down one side of the street, get to the end, turn around, come back. And it was ours. In any case, uh, we got to the third house. And I started feeling a little queasy. And I said, uh, gosh, Elder Richard, I don't know. I'm getting bad vibes about this house. Let's just skip it. And uh, we'll go on down the road. He said, well, that's fine. So off we go. Hour after hour, I'm getting thirsty. I'm getting hungry. I'm begging for a snack. No, we've made a commitment. We're not eating or drinking until the Lord blesses us with the golden contact. And I said, all right, all right, we'll do it. Dogs are chasing us. People are not receiving us. Um, so we get down to the end of the street. We turn around. We tracked our way back. Uh, that whole process had probably been five or six hours. And so when we get back to the beginning where we started, we've had no golden contact in spite of his uh, inspiration. But he suddenly realizes there's that house, that third house that we had skipped over because I was feeling queasy. So he said, that's the golden contact. The Lord has tried us. We skipped over that house. The Lord is trying us to see if we would be faithful to our commitment, not eat and drink and work all day long in this sun. And I said, well, okay, let's go for it. And we went up to the, in Brazil, it's rare that you go up to a door. There's usually a little uh, courtyard and you stand outside the gate and you clap your hand. And if people want to, you know, receive you or tend to you, they'll open the door and talk to you. If not, they won't open the door. So we're out there clapping away. Nobody opens the door. So I said, well, you know, there's nobody home and they don't want to talk with us. And he says, I know this is the golden contact. We, we've got to go up there. So I said, well, I, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of rude if they don't want you there. He said, oh, I know. I know. I just know we got to go. So I said, all right, Richard, let's do it. So we slipped through the gate, went up, uh, getting ready to clap at the door. And all of a sudden the door just opens. And there's this um, middle-aged woman. I was going to say older woman, but I was 21 in those days. So this middle-aged woman opens the door. And she goes, oh, Americans, this is so great. Please, please come in. So we walk in. She shuts the door. She leads us into a living room, which was quite unusual because it was just so large. And it was furnished very, very well. And there were a lot of places to sit. So she sat us down on a nice couch. And uh, I see Bill starting to get a clue where this might be headed. In any case, um, uh, she says, I'll be right back. Just wait here. So we're sitting there for a little while. I'm looking at this living room and it's just not feeling right. So I stood up and just started to walk around a little bit. And I glanced uh, into an open doorway and it was a bedroom. It was a large bedroom huge bed in the middle of the room and around the room and around the bed were hundreds and hundreds of, of statues, saints, Catholic saints, Joseph, Jesus, Mary, Mary's were all over the place, very popular in Brazil. 
And so I'm looking at this bed and I'm looking at all of these images of saints and around it. I'm thinking, man, that is so strange. What's going on here? And then uh, I saw it would look like a hallway. So I stepped back and looked to the left and there wasn't much of a hallway. It was really an exit to the outside. And so as I looked outside, I could see there were two rows of very small bedrooms lined up right and left. And so um, it suddenly dawned on me, I know what this place is. So I went back and I sat down uh, next to Elder Richard. And I said to him, uh, do you have any idea where we are? And he said, uh, well, no. He said, is this kind of a strange place? He says, is that lady ever going to come back? I said, oh, she's coming back. I said, any idea where we are? He says, no, I, I just have no no idea whatsoever. And I said, uh, Elder Richard, we're in a whorehouse. And his face, his mouth popped open, his eyes got big. He almost started to cry. He said, no, no, it can't be. It can't be. Of course, I responded, it be. And uh, he said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, well, we're going to get out of here. So I said, we're just leaving. So we stood up. We start walking to the door as fast as we can. The lady comes around the corner, um, gets between us and the door, and she says, oh, don't leave now. And she used a slang expression in Portuguese. Don't leave. I've just made a phone call, and I have two nice young playthings coming over for you. And I said, ma'am, we're missionaries. We're here on a mission. <laughs> it's like the Blues Brothers. We're here on a mission from God. And uh, she said, oh, that's so nice. She said, you know, I used to go to church, but you know how it is. got to make a living. So anyway, uh, I said, we're leaving now. So we slipped out of the door. We got out to the street. So I'm looking at Elder Richard, and I, in a, a sarcastic tone, as I could rev up, I said, golden contact, right? And he goes, oh, man, he says, that was so frightening. I said, will you listen to me the next time I say I don't feel good about this house? He said, oh, absolutely. I won't put up any resistance whatsoever. And then uh, there was a little pause. And then I said to him, can we eat now? And he said, oh, sure, anything you want. And uh, off we went to eat. Well, as the weeks would go by, Every now and then we'd get to a place I just didn't feel quite right about the place, and I would just start to say, uh, "Elder Richard, I'm." He said, "No problem. Let's go on to the next one." You should have uh, followed the Holy Ghost there, Phil. In the beginning, you guys had made a decision. You had made a decision anyway that they and you came back. So, unlike Martin Harris, though, you only had to ask once. Oh yeah. Well, I, I. I mean, I didn't know why I had the queasy feeling, and I wanted him to have leadership for the day, and I wanted to support his commitment, but yeah. uh, he didn't question me after that. <laughs> yeah, no, didn't go as planned. Well, thank you for calling, my friend. No problem. Have an awesome day. Night, Phil. Bye. All right, we'll take we'll take one more, and then RFM, you've got yeah one more, and then you've got a story uh, for us as well. So. Uh, one more caller and uh, 1-800, I'm sorry, 
not a toll-free number. One four three five two hundred fist. Looks like it is coming in right now. Miles Germer. All right. Miles, you are on the phone with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real on Mormonism Live. Uh, what can we do for you? What's the story you've got, my friend? Hi, Bill. Hi, RFM. A, you guys are my heroes. Cool. Um, both of you. <laughs> so um, I, I was in Brazil as well, Poise, and we had, so uh, we could never get a lesson with anyone who was well to do. So we were always teaching in the what we call the favelas, which are the slums. And so um, my uh, companion and I, we'd set up a meeting in the evening. And so we went into the slums and went into this little, you know, rant, uh, little shack. And we we got about three families in there, you know, and it was it was just like maybe 20, 30 people. And, you know, little kids all around the front. And then you had like the grandmas and the grandpas and uncles and aunts and just just a huge crowd so we were we started giving the the lesson do you believe in god we believe in god and then uh, we started going to joseph smith and as we started talking about the first vision i started hearing this weird sound and it was kind of like it was going <laughs> and i was like what is that and i looked up there's a monkey a monkey is hanging out in this little um, corner of the room and he's kind of up on this like branch of a tree that they brought into the place and so we keep going and we're talking and uh, the monkey starts making more noise he starts going <laughs> and then the the uh, grandma she's like oh don't mind him he's such a dirty monkey and we're like keep going and pretty soon the, the monkey just gets on a just starts going crazy just just barking up a storm just kind of and i look over and there you have it the monkey is literally spanking the monkey (laughs) and so there we are oh yeah so there we are trying to teach this holy lesson to this huge crowd and uh the monkey was just going at it and we we just lost we lost our momentum there and we had to like just wrap it up Miles, can you hear me? Oh, you're still muted, Bill. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying he won't be able to hear you, but if you've got a question or something, I can throw it along to I was just going to say, Miles should have uh, sent that monkey over to South Dakota to show. You should have sent, that, awesome yeah. you should have sent the monkey to, to South Dakota there, my friend, and Give helped, him a little out, helped out my buddy with, uh, with his third testicle. And the sperm sample. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank guys. you. Bye. You know, I've, I've been in a lot of uh, missionary discussions, took them myself when I joined the church. You obviously took the discussions too. Um, there were a lot of discussions I've sat through where I would have hoped for something else to occupy my time. Maybe not quite that, but uh, there certainly, though, some of those lessons were not as exciting as uh, other things I could be doing, right? Well, I was fascinated when I was taking the discussions. <clears throat> yeah, when I took them. But yeah, 10 years later, as I'm sitting oh, through you're the, with the missionaries. 3,000th, yeah. 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 So RFM, let's wrap it up. You've got a you've got a little funny story from your mission. I was chuckling at this the other day when you were telling me. Um, run us through it, and then uh, we'll close out the show and kind of a lighter episode this time around. Okay. Well, I'll give it a whirl here. All right. Now, this I'm wearing an honor. Oh, hey, can I do something real quick? Show. Real quick before sure, you start. Right. So sorry. No, yeah, sorry. Um, I'm going to put something up on the screen here and just show the listeners. 
let's give me just a second. So just recently, we have redone our uh, donation platform. Uh, thank you, John DeLynn, for recommending this donor box uh, as the website. We're all set up. So if you go on to Mormonism Live, for instance, you can see somebody. This was zero when we started. Somebody threw a $10 bill at us. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. If you'd go on mormonismlive.org, uh, click the donate button and drop a few bucks uh, in just to help us keep this show going. Uh, we'll cover a wide array of topics, some lighter, some more serious. Um, but, I, but when the show's over, if we've got you know some other donations that go through there, I'll, I'll kind of note what those were. But um, again, thanks for the ten bucks. If anybody else can just make a make a, a recurring monthly donation, um, you know, one time only donations fine. If you want to do something annually, you can do that. All the options are there, and this really sets up nice, folks. Uh, we can now kind of see which podcast those donations are going to. We can kind of track things a little better. Uh, this should uh, give us a lot smoother uh, uh, path going forward. And so if you would donate, it just it does help keep uh, our program as well as all these other podcasts that we do uh, going. So can so I ask you a question? To, oh, yeah, please, by, the, by, the, all, by all means. Okay, in the upper right-hand corner, you've got marriage on a tightrope, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing $10 there. I know this is new. But down in the bottom left, I see Radio Free Mormon, and it's looking particularly lonely. I know Zero. it is. This guy's like, well, you're not the only one. Almost Awakened and Mormon Discussion don't have anything. Uh, and the umbrella, which is just, you, there's a drop-down window on that one. And uh, so if you go to mormondiscussionpodcast.org, you would click the donate button. You would have the option of picking whatever podcast you want to pick and then sending a donation in. Uh, all the major credit cards are taken, debit cards, and you can also use Stripe or PayPal as well. So I just want to let the listeners know that um, donations are much appreciated. Thank you, but please, please, please help me out there now because Alan Mount is never going to let me hear the end of it. No, right, right, right. This is new, so everybody throw a few bucks <laughs> in some of these that you listen to uh, and help us keep the work going. RFM, you are wearing one of your mission did ties. I, did I tell you about my tie? Yeah, please. So, yeah, we got a tie here. This tie I got in Japan. I actually found it. It was probably a missionary who cleared out of the apartment in Himeji in March of 1980 before I arrived. This was left behind, and I said, okay, it's mine. And I still have it. This is the very tie. So this is a real mission tie from Japan. And I'm wearing a white shirt as well in honor of tonight. So I'll just tell you this story. By the way, I have so many funny missionary stories. Uh, some of them go in cycles. In other words, they're like um, epic cycles of stories. And some of them have to do with bicycles. This one sort of does, but not in a violent way. Um, lots of funny bicycle stories. I'm not going to talk about those. A uh, lot of funny stories about fireworks, which you can get all year long in Japan. And missionaries have a lot of fun with fireworks. And I especially did at the expense of other missionaries. And we're not going to talk about any of those here, though. But this is now summer of 1981. And I am in Mikunigaoka, Japan. I am his own leader, along with Elder Bigler, who was my companion. By the way, we got along so good, me and Elder Bigler, for six months. That was a long time to be together as own leaders. And we got along fabulously. And I hope he's doing great. So here's to you, Elder Bigler. But during this time period, we had one week where the stake and the mission is doing a joint project, which is where they are taking young men who are just about to become mission age, young Japanese men who are uh, members there, and pairing them up with a missionary for a week so that the young man can see how great you know missionary life is and really want to go on a mission themselves. I think that was the goal. But I got paired up with a young man, and I got really lucky 
because the young man I got paired up with, I had baptized a year before. And this was, uh, I have to say, my best friend in Japan, as far as a native of Japan. He was a great guy. I can't remember his real name right now. I'm sorry. But his nickname was Buggy. And the reason we called him Buggy is because uh, in Japan, if you've ever been there, they love English, or at least they did at the time. I can only speak of you know Japan during those two years. They loved English, and they would have English uh, splashed on shirts, on signs, on bags, on everywhere. And you could always tell that this was English that was being created by Japanese people who really didn't know English because frequently the syntax was off. It sounded funny. It didn't make sense. Anyway, first time we meet the guy we would call Buggy, he's wearing a bag. And on the bag in English, it says, let's spend your time with Buggy, exclamation point. And I have no idea who Buggy is. I don't know if the person who wrote had any idea who Buggy was, but it's English. And so he got the nickname Buggy. He loved it. We loved it. Okay. Now, Buggy was working very hard on his English, and he was very good at speaking English. Um, he still, of course, had an accent. I'm sure I had an accent when I was talking in Japanese as well. Anyway, so it's a year later. It's like a reunion, you know, because I've moved on several times since then being transferred. But we get to see Buggy again, and we get to be a companionship and, you know, hang out for a week and do missionary work. That was great. Okay. Having said all of that, I hope I haven't lost you. Yeah. the listeners um no no so it's one of the first day we're walking down the street we're doing street contacting and talking with buggy and we're talking about how things have been and he tells me about a split he had been on with another elder elder anderson and he he starts talking to me and i can do a good buggy this is actually how he would sound he said uh elder radio free mormon except he would say my last name so elder radio free mormon uh elder anderson told me you're so ugly it looks like somebody cut your face off and it grew a scab and i'm hearing this you know and he's kind of laughing and chuckling so he's taking it but i he's taking it in good stride but i'm thinking my gosh this is my convert this is my friend and i can't believe anderson is slamming my friend with some kind of stupid uh insult in english uh poor kid who's this English isn't even his first language. But Buggy goes on. Buggy goes on with the story. He says, so I told him, is that your face? Or did your neck vomit? <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. I had never, ever heard that one before. I've never forgotten it. But to hear Buggy, the Japanese kid, giving it back better than he got from Elder Anderson in English. I had to walk over to a telephone pole and hold on for several minutes to keep from falling down. I was laughing so hard. So, but that's not the story. The story has to do more with this is that one day it was on P day. And that's preparation day for those of you who are listening. who don't know anything about Mormonism. Um, preparation day. Uh, we went to a bowling alley and it was the middle of summer. I think I mentioned that, but it is hot and it's like a hundred degrees humidity probably approaching 90 degrees. It was awful, you know, and I've got my garments on and they're probably nylon one piece. You, just, you got the tie, you know, oh my word. At least I didn't have a jacket on. But we go to this bowling alley where thankfully it was air conditioned. It's probably one of the few air, air conditioned places in the entire city. And we ride our bikes over there because that's how you get around, right? I got my bike, he's got a bike and we ride over there to the, um, 
the bowling alley and we park our bikes and there's like a thousand bikes parked out front because that's how everybody gets around, right? And now I have to tell you, we lock our bikes and we go inside, okay? So we go inside. And by the way, do you have that picture I sent you? Because it's hard to describe these locks. These are strange locks. I'd never seen them before or since. But this is the kind of lock that we had and all bikes uh, had these kind of locks there. Uh, I don't know anybody who had actually had like a, a chain lock or anything that would, you know, really be helpful <laughs> and keep your bike safe and secure. At the time, you really didn't have to worry about anybody stealing your bike. But so these locks would do the trick. And these are on the front um, the fork. And it goes through the front uh, wheel. See the spokes right there? So it keeps the spokes from going in the um, around. So it immobilizes the bike. But I think if you look at that, and that's a nicer one than we had. Ours was really just sort of rectangular and it was made out of hot metal. But the deal is, is that uh, typically this is out. And when you park it, you push this side. I'm pointing to the screen. <laughs> you push the side that looks black in and it shoots that little bar into the spokes, but not that far, you see. And then you also have a key with you. And the key goes into a hole on the other side of that black thing. And you push it in there and you push it down. And then this thing pops out from between the spokes and you're ready to go. And this stays on it all the time. Okay. 24-7, that lock is there, but that's how you activate it and how you take it out. So we get to the bowling alley, we park outside, tons of bikes there, and we go inside, we bowl, I don't know, two, three hours. We finally have to leave, go back out in the hot sun because we have to get going back to the apartment because we got to make dinner for everybody. Okay, so we go out there, I go to my bike and uh, undo the lock and hop on board and I'm waiting for Buggy and Buggy comes walking over to me and he doesn't have his bike, he says, he goes, uh, Elder, Elder Radio Free Mormon, uh, my my bike not work. What do you mean your bike doesn't work? The, the lock, the lock doesn't work. And I said, oh, good grief. So walk over to his bike. And now he takes his key and it's not working because it's not bringing that bar out. It's still stuck there. And I said, okay, okay, let the guy gene, let me try it. <laughs> it's like, let the guy gene try it. Yeah, the guy gene can do it, right? The American missionary, I can do it. So I go in and I try the key. It doesn't work for me either. And I cannot get his lock to open. So I monkey with that. He monkeys with it. It's not going to happen. And I said, it's just pot metal. It's so, so poorly constructed. But I'd often thought this would be pretty easy to defeat because all it is is wrapped around that, that, um, that one fork. And all you have to do is be able to turn it sufficiently to get that bar out from between the spokes. And that's not going to take too much. It's not going to take 90 degrees. Maybe, I don't know. 45 degrees at the most to turn it. And so what I do is I tell Buggy, I say, okay, look, uh, I'm going to have to do a number on your lock. Is that okay? He says, yeah. So I go to the uh, uh, the landscaping and I find a rock. I find a rock and it's uh, this is the tool that I have to work with. The best tool I have is a rock. So I get one that will fit in my hand and I go out there and I kneel down next to his bike and I start hammering on this lock. And I start trying to hammer it in such a way as to get it to bend out so that it will swivel out and be at an angle and it won't be in impeding those spokes anymore and we can just leave. Well, as it turned out, excuse me for a second. Excuse me. As it turned out, uh, this lock was not as easy to defeat as I had thought it would be. <laughs> it's just pop metal, but it's defeating me. And I'm hitting it and every like third hit with this rock, I'm banging my fingers up on the spokes. So I'm getting bloody. I'm sweating like a pig out there. It is hot. It is miserable. And I'm banging with a rock on poor Buggy's lock. 
So I finally, after about 10 minutes, and honestly, they took 10 to 15 minutes of me hammering on this. And by the way, this lock is now mangled by the time I'm done, but at least I get it moved out you so that we can- the hell out of it. Yes. But Elder Radio Free Mormon is not going to be defeated by a little Japanese bicycle lock. I have a rock and I know how to use it. So we're doing, I'm doing this and, you know, Buggy, he's sort of pacing back and forth and, you know, and- uh, watching and pacing back and forth. I finally got this thing done, ready, and I'm ready to go. Believe me, I'm pretty irritable by now. And Buggy comes over and he starts saying, oh, Elder Radio Free Mormon, Elder Radio Free Mormon. I'm going, what? He says, oh, no, oh, no. What is it, Buggy? He goes, this is not my bike. At this point, I'm hoping there's a great deal of laughter going on out there because I can't hear anybody. This is like telling a joke in general conference during COVID. Yeah, you can't. You can't hear if there's any laughter. You've messed messed up someone else's lock to their bike. I know, and so I felt so bad. Actually, uh, I just said, "You got to be kidding me!" And sure enough, you know, buggy like ten bicycles down. There's there's his twin bike, the same kind of bike as this. We we put the key into that lock. Boom! It comes out like a charm because yeah, it's the right lock on the right bike. And then I tell him, I said, "Well, we better hop on our bikes and get out of here before the owner of this bike comes out and sees what we did to his lock." Mm, 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 and we did we did yeah. i didn't leave a note no i did we just got out of there and um i feel bad about it to this day wow wow uh, i was telling you missionaries at all but i've done similar stuff i've gotten into the wrong car before so that yes. uh, you you never feel uh less intelligent than when you do one of those kinds of things where you're banging around and or doing something you shouldn't be doing to somebody's thing thinking it's yours or thinking it's your friends and it's not yes so that was a story there by the way i had a huge huge uh does anybody think that was funny i'm not seeing any comments i feel like i've really just oh no 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 there, no, 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 no you did show. great i'm sorry there's I'm, lol exclamation yeah. point from 357 a person with an excellent sense of humor Dan, I can, well, there's I tons of yes Okay, okay. There's tons of these. You're doing Woo! great. Okay, great, great, great. Thank you, everybody. I'll be here all week. Look at that right one a little earlier. <laughs> Let me guess. Oh, I'm glad you didn't put that up there because a lot of people do see that coming. Of course, yeah. I didn't for crying out loud. You would right. think I would, but no. Uh, um, Similar bike, same lock. Why would you? It's not your bike anyway. It was his bike. So I'm trusting him. I'm yeah. trusting him to be, yeah. Yeah, to be accurate. Right. Um. Okay, so can I tell you about this cathartic experience I had? And I'll keep this to five minutes. Please. Okay. So I had this hugely cathartic and very emotional experience about this story over the weekend. And this is going to sound crazy. But the reason why is this, because this very week that Buggy was going to be with me, which I was looking forward to, and we had a great time together, was also a week at the end of which we were going to do a special program at the church. Uh, there was a sister, one of the sister missionaries. Um, she was a Nisei. She was uh, just very, very talented. And uh, she wanted to do a show. I'm sure I was fine doing it to dance, sing, and, you know, do uh, some dancing and do some church songs, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea, you know, have the members bring their friends, bring their non-member uh, uh, family members, and have them come to church for a show, right? Get them in the church and, you know, have them feel the spirit and all those things so that they'll be interested in hearing what the missionaries have to teach them. So one of those ideas. And uh, we didn't get any permission to do that because, you know, why would we? Uh, so we have this show and it's a nice show, but I have rehearsals for the show because it's kind of serious and there's really stuff. We want to try and do a good show. Um, and so 
I'm not able to be a hundred percent missionary the way I was pretty much all the other time. I'd say 95%, 96% missionary, you know, following the rules, working hard, trying to contact people and having the success one has in uh, Japan. So I cannot remember these stories relating to buggy without feeling guilt that I felt during that week period, because, you know, he's with me, he wants to be doing what missionaries do. And during rehearsals, he's sitting there, you know, uh, cleaning his fingernails. That's not exactly missionary work. And I felt bad about that. So every time I recall these stories and I don't tell them that much, but every time I do tell them, I remember the guilt that I experienced during that week. Mm-hmm. And it was last Friday because, you know, you said we're going to do funny missionary stories. And I thought about this story and I started feeling that guilt again. It's associated with the story. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, 60-year-old Radio Free Mormon looking at 20-year-old Radio Free Mormon mm-hmm. and thinking this. Um, do you know something? As of this point in my mission, I had been out there for 20 months. I had been up at 6.30, in bed by 10.30, working my butt off, doing what it was I was supposed to do following the White Handbook. Um, And everybody who's been on a mission knows exactly what that means. Um, Working not eight-hour days, working 10, 11, 12-hour days, and no vacations. There are no vacations for missionaries. Big surprise. There aren't even weekends for missionaries. You get one day off a week, and that's to do your preparation You can go to the bowling alley if you get your laundry done and your letters written, right? You have to squeak something in by the side, but you have to be out again, tracting at 6 o'clock p.m. that day. It's not even a full day. So I'm doing that for 20 months. I am not getting paid to do this. I'm not doing it for free. I'm actually paying for the privilege of working my butt off for the church. And 60-year-old Radio Free Mormon finally looked at 20-year-old Radio Free Mormon who's feeling guilt about that week, 20 months into his mission saying, you know something, I think I can give that kid a break at this point and say, look, you don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. And this was, it sounds so obvious. And it's something that would be very obvious for me to say to someone else, right? But for me to actually look at myself and say that about myself was incredibly cathartic. And it was just like, I really suddenly realized how ridiculous it was for me to have been feeling guilty about it at all in the first place. And certainly not to be feeling guilty about it 40 years later. It'll be 40 years this summer that that Mm. happened. So uh, I think it told me a lot about myself. It told me a lot about Mormonism and how it is that it can engender uh, guilt in me, at least, I think, in other people setting the the standard of perfectionism and then engendering guilt in people if they do not meet that perfect standard and that that guilt can stay with them for an incredibly long period of time. Yeah. And and like you point out, people give a lot. People give, people believe in this thing because the institution gives them a certain kind of story and tells them not to trust outside sources. And so uh, folks believe that narrative with, with all of their being, and they commit themselves to this system 
with everything. And so like you point out, you give all of your time, you give all of your energy, you give all of your, your if, if money's needed, if your Saturday's needed, if whatever it is, you're there doing it and, and it takes and takes and takes. Um, and at some point that starts to feel heavy when you start to wake up from it. Yeah. And I, I can't believe that I am where I am at this point in my career and in my relationship with Mormonism. And I'm still dealing with guilt that I felt 40 years ago about yeah. not being absolutely perfect after 20 months of, well, I'm, I'm a 99% missionary for 20 months. And then I'm a maybe 75% missionary for a week. Yeah. And you feel bad, but you paid for it. You were giving more um, commitment to this thing than 99% of kids that age are doing in other parts of their life and other places in the world that aren't Mormon. Um, you know, most kids are at college and they're, they're drinking, they're having a good time. They're experiencing sex for the first time. And here you are getting up at six 30, going to bed at 10 30 and, and doing nothing but uh, the Lord's errand. Yeah. And I'm a 98% missionary every week after that until the end yeah. of my mission as well. Yeah. There's just this one unusual week when both of those things happen to line up. So, um, Thank you, LDS Church, for the guilt. I am slowly breaking the chains of the guilt and the, the, the toxic, really, the toxic perfectionism. If I'm feeling guilt after 40 years over something like this, then there's something toxic, I think, very toxic about that perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is something toxic about that perfectionism, and I think you nailed it. Um, we give everything. And then to learn that it wasn't even honest about its story. And hence, had you had all that information, you would have lived your life differently for years and years and years. It's your life differently to find out that this thing withheld uh, information from you and deceived you uh, only, only makes it that much worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I feel like I kind of brought the house down. No, no, no. That's, that's after good all stuff. The, the levity and the funny stories. Yeah. We started off with three balls and we end with Mormon, Mormon guilt. So I, I think we went the full gamut tonight um, and, uh, and, and had a lot of fun along the way. I appreciate everybody calling in too with their stories. I, uh, I was looking, we've got a few more donations and it looks like about 70 bucks and 70 cents came in since, uh, since we talked about it. Thank you so much. Did anything show up, show up on Radio Free Mormon? Uh, not Radio Free Mormon or Mormon Discussion. Okay. Neither, neither of those two. Just Mormonism Live, and uh, that's it. All right. Well, I appreciate your contributions no matter where they go, but especially if they go to Radio Free Mormon. No, and uh, Mormonism you're, Live. You're always what? plugging yourself. <laughs> I, I'm what? I, you're always plugging yourself, you know? you know, Mormon Plugging discussion, myself? Yeah, plugging. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not. Not to be confused with pegging. Yeah, this is completely <laughs> different things. Maybe Stephen, maybe Stephen Smoot will call in later and help us understand uh, the difference. I don't, I don't know, um, but so be it. <laughs> I am surprised. I'm surprised that Alan Mount hasn't put a comment up here yet. Oh, he might have. I might have just missed it. I don't know. Maybe he did. Um, but I do. I appreciate the phone calls, and I love the story we ended with and began with. And I've always been waiting for my buddy Chris to kind of tell that story uh, on the internet and. And for it to go, you know, to, to be saved forever. Um, <laughs> awesome. What are we doing next week? you have any idea yet? Yes. Um, I do know what we're doing next because it's something I've been planning on doing for over a month now. And it's, I'm, I don't have a title for it yet, but it's going to have to do with uh, a painting of what bad faith looks like. Because the church released a painting in its first issue of the Leona, and by that I mean the 
the new enzyme, Liahona. So in January of this year, so it's very recent, they issued a painting. It was an artist's depiction of what bad faith on the part of the church looks like. Ooh, and that's like what it. we're going to investigate next week. And we'll do a little bit of historical background, play some audio clips. And um, this is something that shocked me. I thought that I couldn't be shocked anymore. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, do you ever, do you, do you ever know, Andy Rudy, do you ever notice how you, you, you're a Mormon and you, you, you hear everything and you think you can't be shocked anymore and then you get shocked? I, I thought, uh, five years ago, I thought I'd heard it all. And then to be honest, I've probably learned about as much about Mormonism in the last five years um, as I learned in the first 20. And the rabbit hole literally goes forever. It goes forever. You'll, you'll never run out, right? There's the Brewster kid who's 11 years old, and he thinks he's talking to Moroni during the life of Joseph Smith, and he gets excommunicated by the prophet. Um, you've got Albert Carrington, and you know if you don't go in more than four inches, it's not adultery. You've got Lucy Walker and, and Nancy Rigdon. Um, you've got uh, the, the Newell guy uh, being possessed by a demon that we talked about, you know, and this whole idea of being thrown around the room and up on the ceiling that you and Streeter, I think, uh, tackled a couple weeks ago. Um, Mormonism, you couldn't pack more cray-cray into 200 years of a religion. Like Catholicism's got crazy, but it's thousands of years old, and Scientology's got a little bit, but and they're crazy. It's crazy. Like, but, but Mormonism's got more in 200 years than I think anybody's got. Uh, it makes, it makes what you and I do limitless, right? Like we can talk forever about this stuff. I think so. And they're always adding things, but like I said earlier, uh, and, and I said, always, a text about Scientology. always adding things. Yeah. I said, thank God for the Scientologists because they make Mormons look normal. <laughs> right. They make us, they, yeah, they make us Mormons look like we're just average guys walking around, huh? Thank God for the crazies, huh? <laughs> Well, anything else from you, my friend? No, that's it. But I will get to work preparing for next week. It's going to be a great show. I had a great time tonight. By the way, Jonathan Streeter, since you brought up his name, Jonathan Streeter and I are planning on doing Friday morning at, I think it's 8 o'clock your time, mountain time, um, our second episode on general conference, last general conference. We figure we better crank a few of these out mm -hmm. before the next mm -hmm. general conference comes along. And this will be on the Saturday afternoon session. There are some amazing things that were said in that session. And I've been working hard reviewing that, getting audio clips, which will also be video clips, I think. And um, I would I would say that a contender for the worst talk I've ever heard in general conference was given in the Saturday <laughs> afternoon session. We'll be talking about that. And the bar is already pretty low, so... It's amazingly, <laughs> at this especially, point. especially considering that you have prophets, seers, and revelators. Yeah. In fact, in fact, here's one of them. Mormon now, live, better than touching your own little factory. <laughs> <laughs>